0: Thank Wow, songs worth a thousand words. You certainly did it, Janet Lee, and I love that style that you have. And hello out there, everybody. We are so happy to be with you here today, and we want you to open your ears deeply today. Let the deep vibrate to the deep. Let the light glow to the light. Let faith be faith into faith. And let the glory of God be glory unto glory. Today, we're going deep. Today, we're going to put the sound of revelation out. Moses had a meeting. Most people think that he had a meeting with a bush, and the bush was full of thorns. Somehow, they are not able to see in the invisible Bible that is there that there was much, much more to it than a bush and thorns. As we explained to you in the teaching last week, that burning bush was connected to the idea of of being aligned to the mountain of God, Horeb-Sinai. And there was going to be something special about this burning bush. The voice that came out of that bush said, Moses, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. We call holy ground sometimes holy spots like there being a holy spot where a where a spirit portal is and these spirit portals can exist on earth and be almost like a vortex and that's how it was that day when Moses came to find out what that burning bush was that could not burn up. What that voice was that was like no other voice he had ever heard. And what that holy spot alignment would be that would give him a spiritual telescope and that would remove the glass darkly And remove the filter that was blocking the light. Blessed be the name of God. What he would find that day would be the power of the magnification of the Lord. What he would find that day would be something beyond his imagination. As we explained about the bush, we revealed how that there was all these scriptures that when properly interpreted, they revealed incredible aspects about the fire and the flame. And that when you really got into the understanding of the fire and the flame, you found that the fire was actually a a way of saying an entity was there. That this fire was like when it says that God is a consuming fire. And we went through with all the trumpets of the opening of the veils, and showed you last week some incredibly interesting things about the fire. The Aleph Shins. The Ish. The fire. Found in Strong's Concordance 784. And it being connected to um Strong's 786, so the 784 and the 786 gives you the fire and the entity. And we went on to, uh, to cover how that the Bible talked about Elijah and the chariots of fire and the chariots of God and the substance of faith not just a blank space of hope but faith being a substance an experience that that reaches through time that reaches through dimension we showed how that god was represented that there are many scriptures where god is represented and you know it is exciting to be into those things we even showed in the connection of adam and eve that she shall be called isha because she was taken out of man taken out of ish she shall be called isha because she was taken out of ish the first occurrence of ish is from the mouth of adam and ish shall leave his father and mother and cling to isha and adam and his isha were both naked now isha is not a derivative of ish ish is and can be an agent, someone who speaks or acts for another. And we went into some of the grammatical uh, and lexical uh, aspects of, of values with these terms. And, um, you know, uh, it's just, it just was exciting when we think about the lost language that is in the bible through that occurs through the blindness and the deafness of the people that cannot read or cannot hear the invisible bible it's just nothing less than incredible for people to have this truth and 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 to be able to see it we we got into this thing about you know the word for man as i said earlier uh, ish and 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 you know there is a a slight difference uh in spelling uh between uh ISH and ESH uh but it only takes very slight change to to um by the context of the scripture to bring out the meaning and to move around the vowel so that instead of an E it can be an I or instead of an I it can be an E. And when we begin to open up the meaning of those applications, the Word of God begins to sparkle. The Word of God begins to flame. We talked about how God took the second letter of his divine name, Dahin, Dahin, and placed it after Aleph and the Shin, and made the Hebrew word for woman. In that way, both man and woman retained the word fire in their names. We explained that. Just exciting things. We talked about the connection to Acts 2.3, tongues of fire, and I already mentioned Hebrew 12.29, God is a consuming fire. We talked about the baptism of the Holy Ghost in fire. In Zechariah 2.5, it talks about a wall of fire round about Jerusalem, a glory in the midst of her. The term for fire, F-I-R-E, in the Hebrew Bible has many applications and it's, it's beautiful. We talked about the chariots of fire and this really had application because what we were able to show you by the interpretation of the scriptures with the experience Moses was having at the bush was that this fire and the flame had especial, ex, uh, especially unusual uh, ap- uh, appearances to it, and uh, that that is just something that is beautiful. We talked about being in the midst, M I D S T, as in uh, Strong's eighty-four thirty-two, and meaning to to sever to 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 be uh, a section, a centra among between, half into, to the middle, out of. We, uh, we showed how that this term flame in Strong's 3827 is from, thir- from Strong's 3852, and how that um, it can mean to gleam, to flash sharply, like a polished blade or, or a sword or a weapon. And we tied that in, on the one side we had the fire, meaning a person, on the other side we had the flame, meaning something metallic looking and, and reflecting the sun, which we showed that to be a chariot of God, or a zith, z-z-i-t-h, or z-z-i-t-h, Pin what Language you're referring to, and we we saw how that that in also, you know, like I said, thirty-eight fifty-one, thirty-eight twenty-seven, uh, with this thing of the flame, and also thirty-three fifty-two, uh, like the flame of a head of a spear, and and uh, we talked about how that the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame. In the midst of the bush and the bush wasn't just one bush, it was like a little forest of bushes. And some of these bushes can be fifteen feet tall. So the beauty of this is just it's just beyond the average mind that has ever had a chance to be exposed to such things, but we want to open up this flame, this fire, this burning of the bush, this this meaning, and 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 the presence of Yahweh Yel and the Shekinah glory, and how that. This message that he came to bring to to Moses wasn't wasn't just for Moses. It was to be reflected from Moses. And Moses was to share, as God led him by the Spirit to share it. And I'm sure there, there were people like Joshua and Caleb and some of the elders that he could he could get into more definite explanations that he couldn't tell the common people. And we understand that besides there being the spiritual Shekinah kind of light, there was also the physical light uh, being tremendously reflected at to such an extent that um, it was um, a re- print of the title of what they say about Horeb, the mountain of God, because historically speaking it has been thought to mean Horeb, the glowing heat of the sun. So we see that all of the factors were there, the spiritual factors, and also the physical factors. We talked about Exodus 3:1, where Moses led, and we said that that word was actually forcib- forcibly or exhaustingly uh, driving that herd. Uh, something was impelling Moses as he went out from the Meridian, uh, the the uh, uh, home camp area, and went to like the other side of the desert, so to speak where this rendezvous that he found was to occur. Just precious and just beautiful, there is no question about that. And so, we found in the lightning all kinds of connections, speed of light, flash of the moving of the Spirit. The chariots of fire, Psalm 68, the 20,000 angels and 20,000 chariots of fire that came down on Mount Horeb, the Sinai, And the Bible tells us it. Psalm 68. The Bible mentions in Ezekiel 1.4 about the appearance of a flash of lightning. Wow. The archaeology of the Bible. The paleontology, the chemistry of the Bible. When it is made alive, it opens up the wonders of celestial connections. And when people think to ask who were the angels that were to go before Israel and to smite the enemy. And when they when you think of of the the way that in the Bible there is numbers. And these numbers have all kinds of different meanings. We hope to talk about that a little bit today. Because there are some just very interesting, super exciting things. No question about it. So, the Bible talks about in Matthew eighteen ten, Their angels do always watch over them. He's referring about all of us and this thing of the angels. And there's so much that eventually someday I will hope to be able to get into that and to share with you because because it's exciting. There's no doubt about it. Then we talked about how that there was a, a spilled out Displacement of certain said nations, that was to be expelled by Moses, Joshua, and his people of Israel, and we showed how that, although that was the plan, and they were to be expelled, we gave you the scriptures of of many of the people that did were not able to be expelled. And how that they, um, they ended up remaining and even living among the Israel people. Nothing less than shocking, nothing less than amazing at the large number of the people. Of the large number of the people that were not expelled for one reason or, a number, uh, or another, and a revelation because they were told those were to be expelled. And if they weren't expelled, what could happen is they would become influenced by those people and begin to worship their gods. And guess what? In Judges 2, 2 through 3, KJV, the Bible says that... Israel, after the death of Moses and Joshua and Caleb and the elders, began to worship and serve Baal, B-A-A-L, and Astaroth, A-S-H-T-A-R-O-T-H, which brought everything back around in a circle to the king of Babylon, Nimrod, And then we got into the very interesting scriptures about in Exodus 6.26 and Exodus 12.51, I will bring out the children of Israel according to their armies. And I want to get into that right now because that is really important. Just really, really important that you got that straight. Just so important. So, let's just, uh, let's talk about it. Um, We read in Exodus 13, 17 through 18, about the children of Israel went up harnessed. H-A-R-N-E-S-S-E-D. The children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And we explained that the word harnessed, when you you look at uh, Hebrew concordance uh Hebrew 2571 which is from from the Hebrew 2570 that it can mean a five or a rank or five parts or the fifth rib and uh that uh also in um the strong's concordance Hebrew 2568 it mentions it as a numeral a numeral five well when you look it up, it talks about that it can also be like representing a, a stomach that's pushed out like from, by being a beast or something. But all that means is to extend, to raise, to branch out. Because the rib can also mean, from this Hebrew word, a branch, ranks. And if you look up the word ranks in a thesaurus you 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 can see the meanings of it being order, alignment, arrange, organize. So it's very very important as we begin to look at this thing about about going out harnessed. Now when the people say, yeah, well, the Bible says that that's got to do with the armies. Uh, come on. I want to tell you something. If you, if you get into reading even quite a bit later, say, for instance, even when Saul was king um, and the Philistines had been so powerful, they would not allow those people to have a blacksmith. And the only people that actually had swords of his group that he tried to call the army was actually, was actually uh, Saul and Jonathan, his son. They were the only ones with swords. All of the rest of the people of Israel did not even have swords. And when the Bible says it very clear that the pharaoh said, look, we're going to have to really, we're, the new Pharaoh that came in that did not know uh, Joseph, he said, we're going to have to be careful and take control of these people because they're multiplying and we're going to, we're going to have to be careful lest least another uh, enemy uh, army come in and they join that army so that they can get liberated from Egypt. And we will not have them for, for servants, so you you could just put one and one together, it equals two, that the Pharaoh was not going to allow these people to have a blacksmith and uh, the, the children of Israel all they were really allowed to have was, was files. It was very limited to what they could do with just a file, but they could they could sharpen their axe, implements that were for. For work, so there really wasn't any armies, and and the word that's that's translated "army" really means ranks and parts, and which can mean branch or ribs. And, and it's interesting on that thing of uh, you know of of the branch and all of that. Uh, you know, uh, in um, in Zechariah six twelve. It talks about and his and and his name. Speaking of the Lord, his name was called the Branch. And in Genesis two twenty one through twenty two, it talks about uh, you know the rib, in the sense that he took a rib out of Adam and he made Eve. So we can see the connection of how important that that word five and rib is, and and uh, you know how that. Uh, that it is just an absolutely important a numeral revelation of the term five. Now, in Exodus 14.8, the Bible says when Israel went out of Egypt, they went out with a high, H-I-G-H, hand in the sight of the Egyptians. Now, if we were just looking at the term um, high alone, you know, to rise, to raise, to mount up, uh, that would have one meaning. But when you connect it with the the contextual aspect and say high hand, now uh, a high hand uh, isn't uh, talking about the same thing as someone going out there and jumping high over a, a pole or something like that. It's got to do with the hand. And, and the hand has five fingers to it. And they're all separated and also connected into a unit of one. Separated and yet connected. And that's just how it was when the children of Israel went out in the sight of the Egyptians with a high hand. Well, they went out being seen, but they didn't, they didn't just know the whole plot of, of how how it would be. And, uh, and, uh, and here they were going out, uh, and they were supposed to be disposing some of these powerful other armies that lived in, some of them, in fenced cities. Some of them were giants. And they didn't even have weapons except some of them had slingshots and those kind of, you know, probably some axes and things like that. But there is one thing that is very interesting that the Bible says and and it is it's very much a a a plus to to these people. Um, God says I will bring forth my armies and people had no idea. They you know if people really knew at that time the book of Joel where God used the locusts as an army, and how that, through Moses and Aaron, God had warriors, frog warriors, lice warriors, swarm of flies, flying warriors, and a grievous moraine, which is, you know, another kind of ailment that comes upon cattle and all these kinds of of tools that in the war of the of the lost book of the gods that there is so much that was lost that was beautiful there's one nation where the Bible talks about that the angel caused the hornets to go and chase the people out of their city, the hornets. God has all these armies of these little critters that he can command at any time. And so when the angel goes before him, the original plan was to displace all these people and get them out of the country and away and off living to their self someplace where they could not corrupt the children of Israel. I think the slaughter idea, this is my opinion, and I'm sure I'm right on it, was more along the line of the military background and mind of Moses, who from the very beginning, before his ministry even got started, uh, killed a man, an Egyptian, uh, in defense of an Israelite. He was just a warrior, and when he interpreted things that God said, he interpreted them in in his warrior mentality. But God could have chased all of these people out of those cities just using his his army, like the locusts, the lice, and all these little critters, the hornets. Another beautiful thing is where God told them, it was God's idea, go and borrow from the Egyptians. Exodus twelve thirty-five. They were told to borrow from the Egyptians. And we'll see in other scriptures how very well they did at that. So when God said, "Bring out the children of Israel from the land according to their according to their armies uh he was talking about coming out harnessed, and the word wasn't according to their armies it was according to their ranks, according to this division and so it's um it's very it's very 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 important uh you know so when I was talking about Saul and Jonathan, I was going forward into into history a little bit uh but that is an actual case of Saul and Jonathan uh when they went out to fight the the philippines the philippines sorry <laughs> the uh, philistines um and um they um uh you know, only had a sword a piece, of course later as they as God began to slay the enemy before them, and 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 all they had to do is basically chase after him, and and, and uh, they were so worn out and sl- and and uh, just defeated by the 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 things that God would do, like send down the hail and and do and do all kinds of things like that. That uh, God God would fight the battle. Even when the Egyptians uh, were, were, were uh, coming after the, the Israelites and they began to see all the things that was happening uh, in, in, with the, the cloud movement above and the light and the darkness and, 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 the, and the heaping up of the, of the water and, and the, the flooding of it, they said, the gods are fighting for these people. The gods are fighting for them. Now, this was a war against principalities and powers, but of course it involved people too. So what did this harness thing mean? Well, it meant that all these people didn't go out together in one big lump. But what they started doing before, before they even all left as a group, they started sending people out and they had all kinds of money. Uh, in fact, there are scriptures that indicate that they got so much silver and so much gold that they were just like they were wealthy. So the one thing that they did have was finances. So they could get hold of these these uh, uh, caravans that were constantly coming into Egypt. And then they could they could pay them uh, uh, a a healthy amount of silver or gold. And um they could pay them this money and then um they would get them to take you know, couldn't be too many people, but you know, a goodly number of, of of several families, and take them in their caravans, and slip them out of Egypt. And there were several caravans coming in there. In addition to that, there was there were groups that left by the by the by the sea, by the Mediterranean Sea, and and uh, there there were there were groups that um, that just went out as as uh, a tourist and left through the um, uh, the the way of uh, of the coastlines where the Phoenicians were, so uh, it's just really really incredible this divine escort that the Lord God was revealing to Moses and the plan and how that later of course. Uh, and i mentioned this last week but i still won't have time this week to get into it later they they began to um uh, uh go into uh these you know these uh, nations that they left out ahead of time and they had money to buy various kinds of supplies and things that the people of israel as a as a body of people would need and they would they would regather and meet them at Petra, which is also called Sila. And then, once again, finally be a group, but with all these extra supplies. And one other thing that's interesting, it says that there was not one person, not one person of the whole uh, people of Israel that was a feeble individual. There was not one feeble Individual of the people of Israel, not one, that's Bible. that's what it says. And so when they went across that line, Moses said, "You know what? Exodus 12:2, we're changing the time. This month, although it's not the normal first of the first month of the year, <clears throat> it will be the first month of the year to you." Wow. <coughs> it's just interesting and exciting. And we're going to get into some really super things. But we're going to take a few minutes here in just, in just a little bit. They were to come out of Egypt. Later Jesus Christ as a child would be uh, with his father and mother and fleeing into Egypt to as the Bible says in Matthew two thirteen and in Hosea eleven one and in Micah five two My son shall come out of Egypt which had a singular and a plural meaning to it, as I explained last week. And that was to fulfill Jesus going into Egypt and then coming back out was to fulfill that scripture. So there's more depth, there's more deep to this than can ever be imagined. We're going to take an organ break And we'll be back in about five minutes while Janet Lee plays the organ. Well, thank you again, Janet Lee. Absolutely superb. I love it. And hello, dear listeners. Here we go. Let's keep on keeping on with this word. The other thing was, in Exodus 1, 7 through 11, it talks about the store cities of Ramses and and, um, Pithon. And these were built by the Israelites under the command of the pharaoh, and they were supply cities. Ram, Ramesses was a supply city for everything from um, food supplies, and Python was a treasure city. So in addition to all of the things that they borrowed, from the people, they borrowed quite a few things from these two supply cities. And uh, that's why they, the one thing they had when they came out of there was they had finances. There's no doubt about that. So just want to throw that in because um, it's 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 important for the people uh they have that all down in their mind so they, um, they get the story right. All right, now I'm going to go into some interesting things here. Let's, uh, let's talk about this meeting at the bush. This meeting has to be understood. Like in First Chronicles 28, 11 through 19, David tells that all of the the patterns all of the items, all of these things that were drawn out and blueprints were made of and lists were made of that he gave to Solomon for the building of the, of the temple. He said had been revealed to him by the Spirit of God. So we know that it is the nature of how God works. That when there are things that are beyond a person's capability to know that God by the Spirit reveals these things. By the same token, there was knowledge shared at the bush at Sinai and Horeb. Shared with Moses. And in in the Bible it, it speaks of I God will raise a prophet. This is this is God speaking to Moses. I God will raise a prophet to replace you, out of the brethren, like unto you. God speaking to Moses. I'm going to raise a pro- another prophet that's going to replace you, like unto you. And we can see the Bible verifying that in John one forty-five, and Acts three twenty through twenty one and verse twenty-two John one forty-five Acts three twenty through twenty one and twenty two so we see that there had to be a lot of things that needed to be known. And and Moses was the Bible says in Acts trained in the knowledge of the Egyptians so he would be just a person that would have a better understanding how to ask the questions and he was meeting there with he was meeting there with with Yahweh with the Lord and he was asking the Lord questions and the Lord was intending to use this meaning to show the importance to Moses of a job that had to be done and for, jo- for Moses to really understand why he had to go in and wipe out all these other nations. He had to understand things like Adam understood when Adam was naming the animals. And, and, and Adam had to have an understanding of the lattice of of the animals and the nature of them so that when he named them there was a connection to the name tied into the lattice of those animals and Moses needed to have that kind of knowledge so that he could know why it was so important for him to take the children of Israel and go forward and 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 be of a nature that they displace these other nations, and so we see in the New Testament how that Jesus explained things to the disciples and to other people that he met when he came in a in a transcendent body he would explain things to people that was in the scripture so on that day at the bush meeting that was really the beginning of the of the of the book of the wars that was really the beginning of it because moses had to know some things and he had to understand that that the Lord was saying, I'm going to I'm going to be a divine escort. And there are, are angels that are going to go before you and guide you. And if he was to know how to write the book of Genesis, he had to know that in the beginning that God created the heaven and the earth. And to start off with, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. So there there was something that wasn't exactly the earth that we understand it as it is today, but was a destined destined piece of space. Where this earth was to be put into a form, but at the time it was it was without form and it was void and 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 darkness was upon the face of it until, and, sendaki, a sendoki. The spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. And God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. Now, a lot of your translations—they've got this all worked out into 24 hours because they say well you know this word light and darkness uh you know morning and evening uh designates that it is it is it is a a 24 hour day but no it doesn't at all because to begin with this word when used the way that it was used and being the word that it is, it's a word like connected with aura. When it says, Let there be aura. And there was aura. So this creation that was happening was a divine creation. And God saw the light. Now, the King James translated and said, and it was good, but actually, that is not that is not what it said. Almost none of these places that says that God said it was good, that is not the case. What it really was that was said was the same thing that was said in verse 15. And it was so. Or sometimes, and it was to be. And that was used also in verse 23 and verse 30. And we have shown that there are times that he said And this was good when there was a contradictory. Because he made a man, he said, this is good. Then he says, oh, you know what? It is not good that he's alone. It's like a contradiction. He would have known that, that he was alone when he made him and when he said it was good. And there's many other aspects. I I don't have the time to, to get into it. And so these are important revelations. That this aura is a different word, spelled differently, has a relationship, but it's still a different word, because as it is moved into this plurality, it gets into a relation of changing from masculine to feminine. And so the me'ar, in the verse 14, and God said, let there be lights. It's a different word than when God said, let there be light. Because the context shows us that says, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven. And that, that now we're talking here, this word, Ma'or is meant to, to apply to light being uh, coming from illuminated or illuminated bodies. And these are bodies like the body of the sun, the body of the Moon. But this other first aura is a spiritual aura. So now, that's going to change everything that has to do with the time, because time is not relevant in the spirit realm. And so when you try to make it into, into a day and a night, a 24-hour period, it's talking, you know, a designation of, of ages. The beginning of an age and the end of an age. The beginning of a dispensation and the end of a dispensation. And, and, and the main word that is used there for the day and for all those things is the word, the Hebrew word, yom. And we're going to see in a little bit what Yom can really be. Now someone says, why do we need to know this? And we sort of heard some of this before. You've got to know this because if you don't know this, you can't understand what the real plan that God had for taking Moses and calling the people of Israel out. There was a plan. And this plan had something to do with understanding the principalities of darkness and what the principalities of darkness had done and how powerfully set in the principality of darkness was and the state of how it had affected the plan of God that is so absolutely important for you to understand so very important Okay, now we've got to move on because there is some interesting things. Now, we know that when they try to throw this thing at us about the 24-hour days, then in the second chapter of Genesis, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and the host of them. So it's about the finishing of the earth, which was described the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. And so we know that they are absolutely connected in the meaning of this introductory verse in the second chapter. And on the seventh day, God ended his work. So he is talking about that that work during that one through six days. And later we see what God did on the seventh day. And then in verse four, he says, and, or he says, these, meaning those Six days and, and seventh day, the whole thing, are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created in the day. So now we don't see the day being 24 hours because you got an evening and the morning. We understand that as being the beginning and the ending because we're dealing now with the spirit and the alpha and the omega. And so the picture is really quite clear. And so these generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day (coughs) that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. And it's so different how God does things. (coughs) It's so different because what did God do? When all this creation was being ascribed and what was being done, a great portion of it was being done in a much different way than anyone would ever imagine. And I've preached this to you many times. In verse 5 of chapter 2, and every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord, that God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, there was not a man to tell the ground. So we realize, just by the inference there is not a man to, to, to tell the ground, <coughs> that there is an implication, <coughs> excuse me, that there were men around, but there were none that were able to tell the ground that, ha- that were that civilized. They weren't advanced. They weren't civilized. To know enough about telling the ground. You're following me? Okay. Now, let's look at something. In chapter 2, verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. You have to always understand that Eden existed before the garden. There was a a land called Eden. Excuse me. And it had an east side to it and it had a west side to it. So, and how do you know there was a west? Well, you can't have an east unless there is a west. And you can't have a north unless there is a south. Because north can't be north if, if it isn't of a latitude or a parallel that designates at what point it starts to be north, and at what point before that it was it was south. And so we know that there was in in this this Eden there was an east land of Eden, and therefore a west land of Eden. <clears throat> and the Lord, in verse verse eight of chapter two, planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life, and also in the midst of the garden and the tree of of knowledge of good and evil. God's in the business of putting good and putting evil, of doing all these things. And the Bible, in fact, says that God created uh, evil. Well, how does that sound right? Well, it sounds right because of free moral agency. God creates a person to have the right to choose, to choose to do things good or to choose to do things evil. He wants them to choose God, to choose himself, because that's what they want. He doesn't want them to be a robot, to be a mechanic. And so there's the tree of good and evil that's put in there. Well, we know that when God created Adam and put him in, that things were just quite different than what people think. That there was four rivers that that came out of Eden and watered the garden. So these four rivers existed in Eden and and obviously those four rivers were not just regular rivers because they like the like Pison or pasan it it, it circled around the the land of havila where there was gold now who would possibly care about there being gold if there was just animals and birds there like saying oh hey birds just and animals just let you know there's gold there the the only Critters that were ever interested in gold and silver and diamonds were humans. And so we had these genetic four rivers that existed before the garden was made. Because Eden existed before the garden and the, and the four rivers existed in Eden and then watered the garden that was in Eden. And we've tried to show people that, Mo, that pardon me, Adam, he, he had a mother and a father. He came out of the river, the River Euphrates people. And the Bible tells the story about it in Ezekiel 16:1 through6. And as a little baby he was rejected by his heathen parents and cast away to die they didn't really want to kill him himself so they just cast him away in the septuagint it says that there was like something something different about him something like like that he he had a bodily thing. Well, when Adam was f- first born, he he was a homophodite, homophodite. And the Bible says that he was this little baby he was thrown away and he hadn't been swallowed, uh, sw- he had not been diapered, just put it that way. And... Um, His umbilical cord had not been tied off. And that he was polluted in his blood. Now here's what people don't understand. When Eve and Adam, Eve being taken from Adam's own bone, from his rib, had their first child Cain how could someone that was just totally 100% pure have a child that turns into murdering his brother? Well, the Bible says in the 16th chapter of Ezekiel, 16, one through 6, I said live. I saw you, this angel, I saw you polluted in your own blood. This child was a Euphrates from one of the rivers. And there was pollution in him. Someone says, oh, oh, that, oh I, I just can't believe that. Get the blindness out of you. Get the deafness out of you. I'm I'm reading you the facts. And there are things along this line in the meeting at the bush that was being explained to Moses. And so, let's look at some things. You're going to be very, 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 very caught up and amazed, you know, when you begin to, to see some of these things that I want to share with you because they're nothing less than awesome. Okay. But before we get into this one part, let's talk about yom. The word yom that they used for day translates to day. If you put use it in a sentence that has d- a dabar with it, Yom and Dabar together mean chronicles, like the book of chronicles. Yom also means ever, and Yom also is translated evermore. Now, if Yom can be translated to evermore, and ever, then, when people try to tell us that the earth is not that old, it's not Millions of years old. Billions of years old. They just can't accept it. They don't even begin to understand the Bible. They don't even understand when they read a word that ever and evermore, that it comes from the same word that they use to trans and they translate to the word day. It's the same word. What is the problem out there? Well in Zephaniah 3, nine, it prophesies that the day will come I will restore to the people a pure language that they may call upon the Lord to serve me with one consent. You see there is not a pure language except as it is revealed through this invisible Bible revelation and people are Interpreting things based on an unpeer language, and the Bible says that the peer language has got to be restored, there's got to be a magnification take place. Zephaniah 3 9. There are so many, many things that people just don't understand. There was a time when the US Canadian way of, or the US way of, of um, figuring millions billions trillions and quadrillions was substantially different the british and canadian uh, uh uh number of zeros for million billion trillion and quadrillion was extensively more and now of course they've they've made it all the same so it lines up with the same number of zeros as as the us So a number can can represent a quantity rather than a count. When you start getting into the Hebrew, you find out that like uh, their words, like when they are when they are counting, are are actually are, are you know are not just figures; they're they're names. And those words, those names of words, also are numbers. Hebrew has a reversible two letter root system. And the synonyms and the antonyms are related in the language. Even when you look at things like like fractions in just simple math and you start looking at subtraction, division, and multiplication of fractions. Well guess what? If you multiply a fraction, and somebody says what's that got to do with the Bible? Well, how many of these numbers that are given in the Bible may not necessarily be a whole number at all, but be a fraction. There's a lot of fractions that are used because when you see a one or a two, just depending on how you put that, how you write that, can be the difference of it being a whole number or being a fraction. And how many times are we looking at something in the Bible that actually is a fraction? And so if it says multiply, guess what happens? When you multiply fractions, the percentage, the, the numerology decreases. The numerology value, value decreases when you multiply. Whereas normally, if you would multiply in regular numbers, whole numbers, it, you multiply, it increases. It becomes more, but in fractions, it becomes less when you multiply. How do people know that they are really even doing the uh, the the multiplication correctly when they don't know for sure what it really is—a fraction or is a whole number? Because They're blind to a lot of those kind of things, because God is yet to restore a pure language to the world. Now, there was a Greek who was just an absolutely genius and inventor named Archimedes. Archimedes used myriad times myriad to reach various logical mathematical conclusions. And that is very, very interesting because myriad, you know, can mean ten thousand or ten thousands. It's quite a versatile word. So as we begin to get into the, you know, decisions of what is a short scale or a long scale, what is the actual scientific notation or just sheer digital explanation, or some kind of Google or Googleplex with unlimited zeros like in the word Yom that means forever. It just is an eye-opener. It just is an absolutely eye-opening revelation. And in biblical Hebrew there is a distinguished, a distinguished difference between the two genders of masculine and feminine. So that in the context of these genders, there is a recognition of three numbers, not just masculine and feminine being one and two, but there are three numbers, singular, plural, plural, and duel. Wow. Like I explained last week about my son will come out of Egypt. And you clearly see in the language it was talking about the nation of Israel. But yet in a, in an, another scripture is clearly talking about Jesus Christ the son. So there was a duel in that case. So if a person doesn't understand uh you know, these triconsonate roots and the patterns that they can form, and especially as that is revealed by the Holy Spirit, there's no way they can get into the Akava, the language codes, and the language solutions, either for liturgical or just plain physiological explanations. You know the first 10 letters of the Hebrew alphabet they have a number value assigned to each one of those letters the next nine letters the first first 10 is 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 each one of those as i said earlier have have you know uh, uh, uh letters of the Hebrew alphabet assigned to them for the for the value and then the next nine letters are 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 and the remaining letters is 200, 300, 400. This thing about letters is a lot, uh, numbers and letters is a lot more important than what person thinks. Now in regular math you have mostly numbers but you do have in that math some letters. In algebra you have mostly letters and some numbers. So there are things that happen in, you know, just common maths that sort of tell a story that reference some of these things in, you know, in uh, in the Bible and in the in the Hebrew language. That is so 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 very very important. Now, I know that if you take and you add the first one through nine of all the letters 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 that adds up to 45 then if you take 45 and you take it as it is setting there as an addition a total of those nine letters and you and you and you add the value of, of each of those letters horizontally to the side in other words and you take the 4 and the and and the 5 you get 9 and you take the square root you can get 3 and then there are applications that could be made because all throughout the Bible we have this thing about the number twelve and and we have the twelve tribes. And then we get into the word the elif the word the, the, the and, and elif and and uh, all these different numbers, I'll be saying some of them to you in a bit, Lord dwelling. And and the same word that can mean ox, O-X, can also mean thousand. So it's it's, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And, you know, I see I'm, I'm running out of time, and I just can't get out of time without going into some of these other things. I'm just going to have to go over I'm gonna to have to get out of this number thing here and maybe finish that up next week, because there's some incredible stuff on the numbers that's really wanting to share with you. That is important if we're gonna figure genealogies and figure how old the Earth is, and figure you know uh, how when the flood really happened, and and how far going back to to humans on the Earth if we're counting these these the yomes of, of these greater periods. Well, let me, let me open your brain real fast here. I'll try to go through this as fast as I can. Okay, in the book of, of Genesis, now, Yahweh is explaining things to Moses. He's at, at this meeting. He probably invited him inside the zith, and he's sitting there, and he's just amazed at this incredible chariot with a roof on it but it's got all kinds of lights and things happening in it and the Shekinah that surrounds it. And in chapter 4, and Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've got a man from the Lord. And again, she bare his brother Abel. Now, she got a man from the Lord. I, I don't question that. Just like Adam was a man from the Euphrates and a man of the Lord and he didn't have a soul until God breathed in him and he became a living soul. So the Euphrates people didn't have that. They, didn't have, they had body souls but they didn't have spirit souls. So they've got this duality thing. Just like in the Garden of Eden, they put the tree of good and evil. Tree oftentimes represents a person. Represents people. Okay, now let me you see something here. This is incredible. I'll try to make this as fast as I can without losing you. There's a story here that people have missed. Okay. Now, in the 15th verse of chapter 4, uh, Cain has already slain his brother Abel. And the Lord has rendered his uh, punishment on him. And, and then he says, well, what am I going to do? It'll be that whosoever finds me, they'll kill me. And at that time, he was a very young man, wasn't a, a father, and, or didn't have a wife. And who were all these people who who were all these people that are going to kill him? Well, there were these river people, the Pisons, the Hetekel, all these these river people. Wow. Okay, so God says, "I'm not going to let anybody kill you like that. I'm going to put a mark on you." Least anyone find you should kill, try to kill you. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod. On the east of Eden, on the other side of Eden, there was a land already called Nod. There was a land already called Nod that existed. And it seems quite sure that Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel had never been outside beyond the Garden of Eden. But this land existed on the east side. Now that is very interesting that that he went and dwelt on the east side of Eden because if you will remember when when, uh, God made the garden in verse 8 of chapter 2 the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden. So the garden is eastward in Eden and just on the other side of this east of Eden is the land of Nod and that's where Cain went from the presence of the Lord which was leaving the garden of Eden to the land of Nod. Now let's, let's look at something that happens. In the 26th verse, of the fourth chapter of Genesis. Seth, S-E-T-H, has been born, who takes the place of Abel, and there was a son born into him, and he called his name Enos. And during this time when Enos was born, then, now we have a definite documented time, then, Men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, if you take the genealogies that it gives of Adam, when he had his first and second son, and and right to the time of Saith and when he had when he had Enos, that was two hundred and thirty-five years from Adam, from the, from the birth of Adam, two hundred and thirty-five years. So, two hundred and thirty-five years where it says here, men begin to call upon the name of the Lord, well, even in my Bible, but in most Bibles, the explanation of that is, or call themselves by the name of the Lord. That's the real explanation. Now, let's go over, back over to the 16th verse, and Cain goes out from the presence of the Lord to the land of Nod, and he knows his wife, he's got a wife. Where did he get that wife? Well, he got that wife from the, the river people. And Enoch, well, why we'd have a problem doing that? Well, that's where Adam came from. And he bare Enoch. Now look at this, Enoch, that was a offspring of Saith, hasn't been born and is not going to be born for a long time. And that's a very spiritual, divine understanding. But somehow Cain already knows about that because these things have been explained. And so he wants to get in on it, even though he's done this deed and he's living away from the presence of the Lord. So he calls his first son Enoch. And he builds a city and calls the name of that city Enoch, after the name of that son, Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Irad. And now these are the children of of Cain. And and, and, and unto Enoch was born Irad. And Irad beget, and guess what? Mehuzael and Mahujael. They both have the term E-L on the end of their name, which means God. So here is the fulfillment. Now we know then that when when this first child was born mihu Mihujael, that that was two hundred and thirty five years from the birth of Adam and then it tells us how long it was before mahu um Mihujael was born, and we can uh we can easily you know, we can figure that out by taking the average of, of what the births were. Let's just say we take 100 years uh, because that's about how long it was if you average it out when these sons were ha- were were having children. So now we're up to, we've got, we got Mahujael and we've got Methujael uh, both using the name of God and that takes us up to about 335 years from Adam. Wow! Now, then, something happens. We get something very interesting that happens um, in verse nine of chapter five of Genesis. And Enos, li- Enos lived ninety years and beget Canaan. C a i n a n. Why in the world would any of the offspring of Seth ever name their kid after the name of Cain who had been kicked out of the garden? Well, that's because Enos had married into one of the daughters or or relatives of, of Cain and therefore called that child after the Cain name, instead of the Seth name. And so you've got it right there in the Bible. It's right there in the Bible. And you do not get any EL names from the Seth side until many, many, many years later Down in verse 15, 16, all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died, verse 15, and Mahalelelel, you got an L there, and that doesn't come till years and years and years later. And I could give you all the time on all this, we're going over, so we don't have the time. So what does this mean? You've got Mahaliel, and and you, you know, these names are not coming in on the sayeth side at all. This reference to Enos, then men began to call on the name of the Lord, is referring to the offspring of Cain because they're the only ones that are doing that. And now we have this Cain back in the the line, but this time the line of Seth, because of this intermarriage, because the Bible says in the sixth chapter, the sons of God began to marry the daughters of men, and the daughters of men actually are the offspring of, are the offspring, get this, of Cain. And the daughters of Of the sons of God are the offspring of Seth, but Seth's line has also gotten polluted because they have intermarried. Like Cain, Canaan has intermarried, and uh, intermarried. Pardon me, and and now he is doing the same thing that was being done by Cain's offspring. He's naming them after the name God. His offspring. Now, what about these, these people of the, of the rivers? Well, they've been involved too, because if you look at chapter 4, and we, we got this, we got Lamech, who, the same name of the father of Noah, but only this is one of the children of, of, of Cain, offspring of Cain. And Lamech took unto him two wives, and the name was uh, uh Adah, and the other was Zelah, and uh, Adah bear Jubal, or Jabel, and he was the father of such as dwell in tents and such as have cattle. Wow, this is really advanced stuff that was happening. And his brother name was Jubal, he's the father of such as handle the harp and the organ. And t- verse 22 of chapter 4, and I'm going to close this, and Zelah, she also bear Cain. What do we got going here? Tubal came. Well, if you look in this revelation of the Gog and Magog in Ezekiel, you find that Tubal and Meshach, these were connected to the Gog and the Magogs, which is all the story about how that the Gog and the Magogs are going to end up being these clone type of people that and these uh, offspring type of people that are going to fill the whole earth that are from either a fallen people that are Canaanite type of people, Cain people, or the offspring of these ancient people like the Neanderthal and all those type, kind of ancient men that they've been finding the bones of, and they're all interspersed. And now, as I bring this to a close, so God is talking as Yaviel to Moses, and he's telling them all this information, and he's telling them how that these seed have spread through all these different nations. And they've got to be destroyed. Because Jesus described that in the, in the New Testament when he called them tares. And they said, look, we originally sowed just a good harvest seed. What's happened here? He said, the enemy, Satan, came in. And these are the children of the devil, the children of Satan. And he has sowed them among, among the, the crop, among the, the good crop. Do you take them out now? No, there's a time for that. When the harvest takes place, that's when they've got to be taken out. And God said, this is harvest time for you, Moses. And this war is not a war, just like Ephesians 6, 12. This war is not a war with just flesh and blood. This is a war against the powers, the principalities of darkness, and the powers of the principalities of light. And when you look at that understanding in, in, in Ephesians, uh, you know, then you look at Genesis 1 and you see the divine light and then you see the physical light and you see that these days are, are ages and dispensations and they've got the good side to them the light and they've got the dark side to them just like in the garden of Eden the tree of good and evil knowledge and the whole story of all these things is in the Bible I just don't have any more time. I don't have any more time to tell you in the more detail. We'll have to continue next week. But these scriptures have been misunderstood. They haven't been understood what they were. They've, They've got it all mixed up with angels. Well, you know, it's because there is an aspect of the angel. Like, we're all fallen over them angels. And there's other aspects, but they don't understand it the way that it really is liturgically correct. And so now, let me pray for people that need prayer. I would like to ask you people to, some of you people that are listening, to pray for Betty McDonald. She's going to be going in Monday 2 Tuesday to get a shock treatment on her heart. She has a very serious condition. And she is just a saint. I mean, her and her husband, Larry, have been doing copying all of these broadcasts and putting them into print. And Satan just doesn't like that. We'd like to take her life. And I'd like you to pray with me that God will heal her. Father in heaven, reach down, Lord, and touch Benny MacDonald today, heal her body. Heal her heart, heal her nerves, and heal her, her veins. And let her body have the rhythm of vibration that is normal so that her heart is all in sync with that. And all these other people on my list that I, you pray for every day, I present them to you, God. Reach out and touch them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. God bless all of you. We have a really important post, blog, on the Manifestor blog, and a very neat, important post on the on the Star Rise. We've got a, move the Star Rise to our Manifestor website, and you can click onto it and catch up with all, anything that you've missed. God bless you. We have the organist begin to play Janet Lee.